Well, if you're wondering what is happening, um, (laughs) we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes, an amazing book of the Bible that shows us what life is like without God. It gives us a a, uh, brutal examination of of life, and uh, we've been trying to look at a a song that best summarizes uh, what the text means, where we are, and I got to tell you, I couldn't wait for this one. I mean, I saw this one coming. said, we got to have more cowbell. Uh, I had to argue uh, with Jack. He said, no more cowbell. I'm like, more cowbell. So anyway, if those of you who don't know uh, the reference of a Saturday Night Live skit uh, with Will Ferrell, uh, we actually wondered if I should have the same wardrobe. Do we know that? Uh, I certainly have the midriff that Will had for that, but uh, we tried to spare you of that. Uh, it's an amazing song. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult uh, sings that song. Uh, It's a song that was confusing to many. It says, don't fear the reaper. Basically, don't fear death. Uh, It tells us that Romeo and Juliet, well, they're together in eternity somehow. And and some people thought, well, well, maybe the message was suicide. The message was, hey, don't fear death. It's kind of a passage. Romeo and Juliet, they made it. They're together in eternity. So maybe that's the, the realm to take. And the writer said, no, 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 that's not it at all. Uh, a guy named Buck Dharma. Buck said, really, it was a love song. It was a love song, longing for a love. Don't you long for this love too? Longing for a love that even transcends death. Uh, a love that, that death cannot ultimately touch. Well, today as we make our way through Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 9. And the writer of this book calls himself the preacher or the teacher And he tells us a well-established truth. He's going to tell us two things that we know painfully well about our lives. Well, about our world. The first thing he's going to tell us is this, is that death is tragically inescapable. Is it not true? I mean, the ratios are one-to-one. Everyone who's born is going to die. Death is absolutely, tragically inescapable. You know, for some, it's happened so quickly. For some, maybe after a long battle of of a disease like cancer. Uh, For some, way, way, way too early. But is it not true? I mean, death is so inescapably tragic all around us. The second thing is this he's going to tell us, is that life is brutally unpredictable. That life is is brutally unpredictable. Just, Just when you think you got your ducks in a row, they all fly away. I mean, just when you think like you got a handle on things, I mean, life crumbles. I mean, is it not true? I mean, just when you feel like you're, you're close to the summit, I mean, just when you feel like you're about ready to arrive or, or just at the worst time, life bottoms out. Something happens. The phone rings. A knock on a door from a policeman. Being told you lost your job. I mean, something happened. Life is brutally un predictable. So if it's true, if it's true that death is unavoidable, and if it's true, true that life is just so unpredictable, how do we not fear the reaper? I mean, how do we not fear death? Death itself has come to all of us. Not only that, but how do we live without the fear of life? I mean, how do we truly live our lives not so concerned of what's around the corner? How can we truly live? Well, it's in the midst of this broken reality. So what scripture will tell, tell us is in the midst of this fallen reality, God has a really, really interesting command for us. We're going to see it this morning. 
it's kind of, it's, it's a bit odd, to be honest with you. Because he's going to say, hey, life is, life, uh, death is, uneve- uh, uh, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. And life is unpredictable. But here's what he commands you and me, right, for this? In the midst of it all, he's going to say, go. Go. Don't wallow in this. Go. Go. You ready for this? Enjoy your bread. Drink your wine with a, with a merry heart. Live your life. Enjoy your life. Live your life loving the wife that you have. Go and, and work and work with all your might in what God has called you to do. How do we do that? Can I tell you, how, how do we do that? How can we enjoy those little things, those big things in the midst of this ominous world that reminds us how broken it is every nanosecond? You see, fear and anxiety are killjoys. Fear and anxiety are killjoys. God is calling us to enjoy life in the midst of it. But we know that fear will take away our merry hearts and kill the joy in us. So the question we got to ask is this. How in the world are we to find joy that transcends death, the tragic inescapability of life? Well, we got to find a love that's beyond the world. We got to find a love from, from God. And that's the song the Blue Oyster Cult was looking for when Bach Dharma wrote those words and sang that. He says he was longing for a love that transcends death. And the only way he's going to find it is the same place we find it in the giver of life, in the conqueror of death, in our God, and in his word. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes 9, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. Many thanks to Dave Gambrell last week filling in and just knocking it out of the park. But we're going to pick up our study again in Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find the words listed for you in the bulletin. They'll also be on the screen behind me. But let me tell you about these words. Uh, This is a most unusual book in the middle of the Bible. It was written a long time ago. It, It has the voice of Solomon, King Solomon, what the scripture says is the wisest and the richest of all men. But if written by Solomon or not, we're not exactly sure. But what we know for sure is this, is this is God's very word. That God breathed his his being into the writer, uh, into this word, so that we know that God wants to communicate to you and to me today. And the way he wants to communicate with us is not just to entertain us. It's not just to tell us a story, but it's to give us hope. To be honest, it's to transform us. So as we read God's word, will you listen in? Will you, will you lean in? Because this is, this is the very word of God. We're going to read chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are there in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. And this is like swearing, saying, I, I, I promise, Lord, I'm going to do this. This is an evil that is, that is done under the sun, without life, without God. That the same event 
happens to all. What is that same event? It's death. It's death and the unpredictability of life. Also, the hearts of children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Interesting idiom here. For us, dogs are awesome. Dogs are pets. I got two beautiful golden retrievers. But in the ancient Near East, the dog, picture more like a scavenger rat. It's basically saying better to be a live rat than a dead lion. I mean, having some life. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they'll have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Now this isn't telling us that there's no life after death. This is just looking at life under the sun apart from God saying there's no hope without God. And we know as we look at scripture that that everyone, the believer in God and the lover of Jesus and those who don't, we know that the soul lives forever either in paradise with God or in hell away from him. But in the midst of that darkness, listen to what he says. Go, commanded, eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. What in the world could that mean? God has already approved what we do. We'll have to unpack that, because that is so important. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil, at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do or whatever it has skill to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligence, to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught up in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. Interesting word, is it not? Let us ask God to come and open up our hearts and minds to understand. Let us pray. Father, this passage tells us what we have so painfully become aware of, is that death is inevitable for all. Some this morning have that taste of death too fresh in in their mouth and their memories from losing a loved one. That, That life is so unpredictable. It happens to us all. And yet, You command us in the midst of this, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the emptiness, in the midst of the aroma of death. You command us to live. You command us to find joy, joy in life, joy in the simple things like eating our bread and and drinking our wine. 
Joy in the beautiful things like our marriages and living life with those we love. Joy even in what our hand finds to do. Joy even in our toil of work. But God, how do we find joy in the midst of so much fear, in the midst of so much anxiety, in the midst of so much brokenness? God, only you can reveal that to us. So would you come, would you speak through a broken sinner like me, and would you give us ears to hear your voice, our Heavenly Father? Would you give us minds to understand your word, our Savior Jesus? Would you give us hearts that that embrace your love, Holy Spirit? And God, we ask that you'd be with us in such a powerful and tangible way that you would give us feet that, that walk in a manner worthy of your name. You give us feet that are, that are filled with joy, joy that comes from knowing that we are yours and that we are loved. God, I pray this morning as I always pray, but specifically for this text, we do pray that whatever I say that is wrong or or just confusing, would you let those things fall away and be forgotten? But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those very things to to give us joy, to give us hope, and to shape us to be more like your son, Jesus? And it's in his matchless and beautiful, authoritative name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to follow along with me in your bulletin, there's an outline, you may do so. And it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Did you not see this command in the midst of this pretty bizarre passage? This command that God has given us that we are, we are to go. We are to go and we are to eat and we are to drink with joy. Uh, we are to live our lives with our wives or, or our spouses with joy. He's basically saying this in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of death, in the, the midst of brokenness. He says, go and enjoy your wine. Go and enjoy your wife. Go and enjoy your work. You should be asking the question, how? You should be asking the question, well, how can we? Well, the only way that you're going to be able to go from here and and enjoy life is if if there's a removal of fear. A removal of fear that, that death is so inevitable and that life is so unpredictable. The only way that you and I will have the joy that we long for, the joy that even we were created for, is to know, I mean, really know, to believe, I mean, really believe that that God is in control. I mean, to know the fact that in this crazy, messed up, broken world, there is a God and he is on the throne and he is powerful and, and he is in control. But not only knowing that God is in control, but the only way we won't have fear is to know that this God, this mighty God, he loves us and he's for us. I mean, to know this transforming joy of the God of the universe and his approval on us. How in the world can God approve of us? So broken, so sinful, so dark. And the only way that we're going to have the joy is to know, A, he's in control. B, that he really is for us and he loves us. And and that C, that God ultimately wins the day. I mean, I love the truth and the reality of this text. It says, you know, the race isn't one always for the swift, and it's not always the powerful who win the battle. And if life can't be figured out, how do we have hope that God will one day win the day? And he has already in his son. Okay, let's look at the first thing. The first thing it tells us is this, is that God has us in his hands. It says early on in verse 1 that we are in God's hands, which is basically saying that he is in control. All right, it's your part. You ready? 
Here we go. I need you to sing. You ready? He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 All right. We know the song. We sing the song. Let me ask you a question. Is being in the hand of God a good thing? Is being in the hand of God a good thing? Is being in the hand of God a safe thing? Have you seen the pictures out of Texas? Especially the Houston area. I have a friend who I talked to this week and his family lives there. They have four feet of water in their home. They're just grateful for for life and not the, the loss of life or anyone missing. But pretty amazing pictures coming out of Houston area and all of Texas. It's just getting a deluge of water. I mean, maybe they're over there building an ark. I mean, it's just been coming down like crazy. But when the insurance adjusters come to town and when they, when they try to make sure that they get the uh, insurance paid, do you know what they're going to call that flood? Do you know what the term is for things that happen like that? They're called what? Now that's comforting, isn't it? Act of God. You got the whole world in his hands. My stuff just swept away in the flood. You got the whole world in your hands. And yet this is an act of God. Hmm. If act of God includes what's happening in Houston and other places of devastation, the question we need to probably answer or ask, and I'm sure that many of you have asked it, and probably most of you are afraid to ask it, And some of you might even be asking it now. And the question is, is it being in the hand of God a safe thing? I mean, is being in the hand of God a a good thing? You know, I got to hit pause and say, what are the options, right? I mean, the thought of not being in the hand of God, the the thought of not being in God's control, I mean, that's that's hell. I mean, that's terrifying. But let's go back to that. Is, is being in God's hand a good or safe thing? Well, the only way for us to ultimately know that being in the hand of God and being in the control of God is, is safe and good is when we realize the beauty that God's hands have nail prints in them. That, that God's hands were, were pierced for our transgressions. That God was broken because of our iniquities. Because God would come and, and he would taste death for us so that we could taste life. That God would come and the God of all comfort has, has comforted us in Christ Jesus. The only way that we know that it is good and safe to be in the hands of God is to realize that those hands have holes in them because of his love. And the only way that we could, we could see this world that seems to be spinning out of control and this world that seems to be so broken and, and, and so messed up, and it is. And you say, well, God, how are you in control? And we see in the Bible the God who, who tells us that he created everything good and he created everything beautiful and he created everything for his glory, but we rebelled. And as we rebelled and sinned against him, everything that was broken came into being. Death, so inevitable unpredictable nature. But God says, listen, I'm in control. It's not like this spinning top that is just going wherever it wants to go. God tells us in his word that that history itself is actually unfolding. 
unfolding according to the plan of God. That there's nothing that is happening to you. There's nothing that will happen to you that he is not a part of, that he's not in. He's got the whole world in his hands. That includes you. He's got all of eternity in his hands. That includes our time and our space. But I got to tell you, I'm really amazed at what God allows into his hands. Aren't you? I mean, he's got the whole world in his hands. He says specifically the righteous here in their deeds, specifically his church, specifically his beloved. But isn't it amazing what he allows in his hands? I mean, come on. I mean, sometimes you say, well, God, did that just slip in? I mean, how did you allow the, the, the report to come back cancerous? How, how, did, how did it slip in the, the death, the tragedy of my spouse? I mean, how did you allow my, my child to suffer like this? How did you let that in your hands? It's hard to figure the providence of God. It's, it's hard. He tells us in his word, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. He says, don't be surprised of a broken world. I mean, in this world, you're going to be persecuted. In this world, you're going to be tempted. In this world, you're going to suffer. But I got the whole world in my hands. And you're in there as well. And I can't figure out, I was looking into your faces, I have no idea why sometimes he's let the things slip into your life through his hands. But I know they pass through nail prints. I know this about our God. He, he tells us he never lets us go. I mean, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what situation, he says, about my hands, I mean, nothing can snatch you out of my hands. Nothing. He's so strong that he will never let us go. And I love that reality. And he, he'll even never let us slip out of his grip. And sometimes we want to get out of his grip. Sometimes we want to get out of his control. Sometimes we're just so ticked of what we see around us. We're like, God, let me go. He's like, I'm not going to. Nothing is going to separate you and me. I'm not letting you go. I got to tell you, there's some really good news there. I often live my life thinking, I hope I'm strong enough. I hope I have enough faith. I hope I have enough love to hold on to God through the hard times. I hope that, that when the hard times come, that I'll be a good enough Christian to, to hang on to God so, so somehow I won't lose my grip on God. He said, that's not what Christianity, that's not what love is all about. The beautiful thing about our God, he says, I got a grip on you. And even when you cry uncle, and when you even say, I can't hold on anymore, and even when you give up, God never lets us go because we are in his hands. And why he allows some things to pass through there, I don't know. But he tells us he's making all things new. Not only does he tell us that God has us in his hand, he says that God has us in his favor, that he loves us. And because of that reality, I mean, because of his love for us, we are urgently commanded to enjoy this life. Eat and drink and enjoy your spouse because God has already approved of us. What does that mean? Well, when we read this in Ecclesiastes and you realize eat and drink and be merry and, 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 and marriage, these are all gifts of God. And what we should probably think of is Genesis 1 and 2. We think of the creation story that God has created everything good and he created everything to be enjoyed for his glory, including eating, including drinking, uh, including marriage, including work. So we look back and say, well, God has already approved of these things. I mean, they're, they're creation things. Does he still approve of them after the fall? Absolutely. Jesus came to, to redeem all these things. 
You see, when we look at this and we look at, is God for us? Is he happy with us? We look back to creation. But we got to also see the cross and realize what, what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. I mean, he loves us enough for that. And we look forward to the final supper. I mean, God really does love us. But don't you ask that sometimes? I mean, seriously, I mean, the situations in your life, how many times have you said, does, does God like me? I mean, does God really care about me? How do we know? How do we know? You see, what the writer of Ecclesiastes beautifully does is this. He says, if you try to figure out God underneath the sun, if you want to look at all your circumstances, if you want to see the brokenness of the world, if you want to try to find God in the midst that death is so inevitable and life is so unpredictable, if you want to figure out if God is for you through the circumstances of your life, you're going to be confused. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, we're in God's hand, but does he love us or hate us? I mean, is he for us or is he against us? Do we, do we know? And if we try to listen, if you try to figure out who God is through your circumstances, you're going to come up with a warped God, not the God of the Bible. And you're going to come up with some really bad conclusions that either he's not in control, he's not good. But in the midst of that, you know he is. Why? Okay, here we go. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Come on. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells us so. It's interesting. It's basically saying, don't let your circumstances tell you so. Don't let your own ability tell yourself that God himself is going to reveal to us a love for us. He's going to communicate it through his authoritative word. And so you're going to trust this more than your circumstances. You're going to let this define God more than your own ability. That you're going to come up with a premise that we just saying, Jesus loves me. This I know for God's word tells me so. The Bible talks about God in John 1, 4. It says God is love. He's the embodiment of love. That love comes from him. He's the cre- creation of love. He's the being of love. He's love itself. And then 1 John 3 says that this heavenly father, he's lavished love upon us. I mean, he, he pours love upon us. He, he can't stop loving us. He is for us. And he does love us. You know, telling us that he loves us is nice. It really is. And the Bible does tell us so. But what do we tell our kids? We say your actions speak louder than your... And so how many times in my life say, God, okay, your Bible tells me so, but let me look at your actions. Do they speak the same thing? How many of you have asked this question? And how many of you are even asking it now? If God truly loved me, this wouldn't happen to me. Let's be honest. I mean, how many of you have just had that tragedy, had that unpredictable nature of life, had, had death at your doorstep? And you have said, if God loves me, this wouldn't be my reality. Well, that Bible, 
that tells us of God's love. He says that he demonstrates his own love for us, that, that while we were still sinners, listen, while we're enemies of God, while we are in enmity to him, God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ Jesus to come and to live and to die for us. It's the greatest symbol of love. I mean, Jesus himself will say, no greater love has any man experienced than, than to lay down his life for his friends. And I call you my friends. I, I give you my very being, my very life. No greater love has anyone ever known. Is God for you? Oh man, he loves you so much. He loves you enough to give you everything he could give. He could never give you less. He gave you his son. One of my favorite passages of scripture is, is Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, it's, it's the uh, baptism of, of Jesus. And, and there you have such a beautiful picture of the Trinity, the triune God, and kind of similar to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there you have Jesus being prepared for his earthly ministry. And he's empowered by the Holy Spirit that descends on him like a dove. It's really cool. And then you have this time in eternity that the Father can't contain his love and his enthusiasm for his Son. And a voice cries out from heaven says, that's my beloved son. There he is. And I'm so well pleased of him. Can you imagine those words of a father impelling his son to go and eventually go to the cross? The power of those words, the power of saying, I approve of you. I delight in you. You are my beloved. Those are your words. Those are my words. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, by God's grace through faith, he says, I delight in you. I'm for you. You're my beloved. He lived the life you're supposed to live. He died the death you deserve to die. He's robed us in his son's righteousness. We, we wear his jersey, his name's on our back, and we can live our lives even in the shadow of death, even in the midst of the unpredictable nature, knowing you are loved by God. He approves of us in Christ Jesus. We're in his hands. He's got the whole world there. And it is safe and it is good because there's nail prints there. And we're in his favor. He delights in us. Not because not what we do, because of what Jesus has done. And lastly, God has won the day. He's won the battle and the race. I mean, life is, do we not know life is brutally unpredictable? You don't know what call you're getting tomorrow. You don't know what's knocking on your door tomorrow. You don't know what's happening tomorrow in your life. And we know that the race isn't always won by the swift. I mean, the Olympics show us that all the time. I mean, the one who so predicted the win, the one with the world record, trips and falls. We got things like Miracle on Ice when a bunch of college kids beat the Russians in hockey. I mean, the race is not always won by the swift. The battle is not always won by the strong. I don't know why Georgia Southern jumped in my mind, but it did. Let's go to David and Goliath. Sorry. But you know, it's true. I mean, seriously. The bread is not to the wise. Rich is not to the intelligent. I mean, how many people have you seen with money? You think, are you kidding me? If I sing that way, I can make that kind of money? Or rhyme that way? Or, or do that? Or do this? Or whatever? I mean, we've seen it. That... The riches are always to the intelligent. But it says this, time and chance happen to us all. <laughs> Life has time and chance. Unpredictable. It's going to be absolutely unpredictable. That time is going to take his bite out of you, and not only that, chance is going to come to all of us. 
And only in Jesus do we have hope in this brutally unpredictable world. Why? Because Jesus won the race. We failed to win. I mean, he ran the race. I mean, he ran the race perfectly obedient for his father's glory, then, then passively received his father's wrath on the cross. He, he won. I mean, Jesus, he, he won the ultimate battle that we deserve to lose. I mean, he's the ultimate warrior who defeats Goliath. He's the ultimate one who, who tastes death so that we can taste life. And that, that tomb is empty. We win. And we know we win in Christ Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who provides us our daily bread. I love the fact that when Jesus sees the crowd hungry, what's he do? He takes a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he feeds them. Do you think Jesus wants us to enjoy our wine? Oh my goodness. When the wine ran out at a wedding, what's he do? He makes the best wine. That's Jesus because he loves us. You see, he ran the race for us. He, he died to death for us. He provides for us our daily bread. He, he gives us life and life eternally and life abundantly. And where there is life, there is hope. It says it in Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, uh, Ecclesiastes 4. If we have life, we have hope. And in Christ Jesus, we don't just have a little bit of life. In Christ Jesus, we have life and life abundantly. Life eternally. My brothers and sisters, our hope needs to be in nothing less. Should be in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his, his righteousness alone. And because of the reality of who we are in Christ and the reality of life, he's telling us, he says, now go live. Go live. Go be free. Go be fruitful. Go be alive. Go live. And even the small things like eating your bread, do it with joy. God is for you. And God is with you. And God is looking over you. And drink your wine with a merry heart. He delights in you in Christ Jesus. He's no longer angry. He's poured out all of his wrath on his son. Enjoy life with your wife and your family. Enjoy it. And for those of you who are single, he's saying just enjoy the relationships that God has given you. Enjoy me in the midst of it all. Enjoy life. We're not, we're commanded to do it. Because of what the reality of what God has done. Listen, because God is in control and his hands have nail pierced marks to remind us of his love. Because God approves of us and because God has won the day, whatever happens under the sun and the tragedy under the sun of death and unpredictableness, we know our God is with us and for us. And if God is with us, what can be against us? And if God is for us and with us, what can stand against us? And if he's defeated even death, we have life that truly reigns in us. Blue Icer Cult said, don't fear the reaper. Why? Because he longed for a love that transcended death. And only in Jesus can I say, can the Bible say, don't fear death. He's conquered it. Don't fear the unpredictable nature of life. He's with you and he's in control. Now go and live for his glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that not only do you know the reality of death and the reality of the unpredictable nature of of life because of the curse that we've brought on because of our sinfulness. We thank you that you are in control of all of it. We're responsible for the curse, but Jesus has come to become that curse, to break that curse so that we could know the blessings of God. It is true, our God is in control. 
And it is true that we are in his hands and we know that there we are safe and it's a good place to be as long as we see those nail prints. And God, we thank you for the fact that that you really do approve of us, not because of our works of righteousness, not because of our religion, not because of the things we do. You approve of us because of the things your son has done for us, his life, death, and resurrection. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that now reminds us of that love and that work that gives us even the power, even now as we go from here, to live our lives with joy. Yes, there will be tears. Yes, there'll be brokenness. Yes, there'll be painful reminders, maybe even of today, of a life that is broken. But we thank you, Jesus, that you came to make all things new. And you are going to finish what you began. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, we can have joy that Emmanuel, Jesus, is with us as a victorious king. And we pray this in his matchless name. Amen.